everybody welcome back we are on our fifth episode of staring into the sun podcast so glad to have you here with me myself dr rob gibson and my brother i am pastor john gibson and today we are here together with you uh to spend some time staring into the sun where we're gonna we're gonna take our two perspectives and approach matters of the head and heart and see what we can find there and we're gonna share that conversation with you so glad you're here and uh today we are talking about self-esteem oh joy <laughs> and, that sounds and like an mainly, exciting topic actually yes, we're, we're mainly doing that for the sake of uh my brother's mental health <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally kidding. I was about to say how, how this really doesn't pertain to me because I know that I'm awesome. Okay. But you well, jumped right in there and that, exposed yes. the painful yes. parts of my life. And yes, my. I, <laughs> I was I not cut, expecting yes, that. That I, was really good. I cut through your narcissism right to the heart. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, anyways, oh, we're going to talk about self-esteem gosh. in all seriousness here. And uh, uh, Johnny, you got a you got a uh, quote from a book you've been reading to start us off. Yeah. So uh, one of I, I say this about a lot of authors because I have a lot of favorite authors, you know. But uh, one of my favorite authors, Brendan Manning. Actually, I go to I go to old Brendan Manning when I need some encouragement for my soul. You know, mm-hmm. um, when I when I need a little less head and a little more heart in my life. I don't know if you can identify with that, but um, this is a book called Abba's Child. Uh, it's a, a Christian book, and he writes this, um, and I thought it would be just a good kind of launching off point uh, in our conversation today. It says this, the story is often told of a man who made an appointment with the famous psychologist, or as Dr. Rob would correct, psychoanalyst, analyst. Yes, psychoanalyst, psychoanalyst. Car- Carl Jung, not Jung, but Jung. to get help for chronic depression. Jung told him to reduce his 14-hour workday to 8, go directly home, spend the evenings in his study quiet and all alone. The depressed man went to study each night. He shut the door, read a little Hermann Hesse or Thomas Mann, played a few Chopin etudes or some Mozart. I feel all fancy saying that. After weeks of this, he returned to Jung, complaining that he could see no improvement. On learning how the man had spent his time, Jung said, but you didn't understand. I didn't want you to be with Hess or Mann or Chopin or Mozart. I wanted you to be completely alone. The man looked terrified and exclaimed, I can't think of any worse company. Jung replied, yet this is the self you inflict on other people 14 hours a day. And Jung might have added the self you inflict on yourself. In my experience, self-hatred is the dominant malaise crippling Christians and stifling their growth in the Holy Spirit. Wow. <laughs> pause. Gonna, yeah, gonna pause. This that. is a great, uh, great, or I don't know if great's the word, a disturbing story, but um, yeah, interesting to, to think about how much I can relate sometimes to uh, this man. How many of you would say your, your, uh, your greatest um, idea of spending quality time is to sit in silence and think about or be with yourself? You know, it kind of exposes what we really think of ourselves, I think. Yeah, when you were listening, I was placing myself in the same position, wondering like how how okay would I be spending hours, hours and hours with myself? Um, and that last part of like maybe also you inflict that upon yourself. Um, 
but that that's a harsh truth and i think it also it hits at what we're wanting to talk about today which is um self like self-esteem like you you're and i think as as we get started i think that that word is a bit semantically overloaded like there, there's too much meaning in it that means a variety of things and and maybe we start with getting at what we're what we really mean by that what we're wanting to talk about and it, as i think about it um, I'm thinking specifically about uh, my my sense of my own value as a person um, and where I draw that from and also what it actually is. Um, and it, that's what I'm thinking when I think about self-esteem. Um, I'm, I'm curious when, when you hear the word or when you think about it, what, what you think of? When I think of self-esteem? That's right. I know esteem, you know, obviously the word esteem means to prop up or the image of something or to bring um, praise to something. And I, th- I don't know, I think it's it kind of connects to this idea of how much worth or value do I see in myself or how much esteem do I have um, in my own perception of myself. So I think inherently the word speaks to how much positive perspective do I have about my own, like, identity or... Yeah the lacking of their you know i don't have much yeah, self-esteem the, the it means lack. i don't have much positive um i don't have much positive to say about who i am as a person or in my individual self and i start to think about Stuart smalley in front of a mirror <laughs> saying i'm good enough i'm smart enough and doggone it people like me <laughs> and I I, th- <laughs> I think about like pros and cons of self-esteem movement and um, when I think about Stuart Smalley and that old SNL skit, uh, for people who've actually seen older SNL, that would know what that means. But uh, it, it, to me, the the foundation of that is: can I say those statements from a place of truth? Right? Because mm-hmm. I think I think a place that, at least where I see people struggling in the realm of self hatred, is if they if they were to say those things like i'm i'm a valuable person or i'm worth loving or something like that it would it would create intense dissonance internally because it's not drawing it's drawing from an empty well it's not true so when i say those things i'm i'm actually not saying them truthfully and so i i can't actually say them or live in light of them because they're not actually true yeah, it connects deeply with our personhood, you know, and what we what we think about ourselves. And uh, that'd be an interesting thing to talk about is where do we get, and maybe even from a psychologist kind of perspective, and I can talk about this from, you know, an experience uh, and a faith perspective, but where do we, how do we define our worth or our value? I think there's a lot of great conversation, you know, and for you as a listener, we would, you know, ask you the same question maybe right now as you're listening is what, stop and think where, what what gets to speak into or what has formed your definition of who you are, you know, and it really gets to some core foundational uh, questions about our identity as people. Uh, but I'd be interested to talk a little bit about that. Like where does yeah. our self-esteem come from uh-huh. or how, how is it formed in us? So, yeah, I'll give us an entry point here. Um, so one place to enter here is um, uh, attachment theory. Um, and and uh, this comes from a psychoanalyst named John Bowlby, as well as a, um, a famous psychologist named Mary Ainsworth, who, who did a lot of the experimentation around attachment initially. 
And, and essentially what they did is uh, they, they did observations with young children or infants um, in relation to their primary caregiver. So they would set up this setting where they would bring a child into a room with their mother and there would be toys and things about the room and the, they would observe so and, and they would document what they observed and codify it to develop uh, an understanding of this theory but anyway so they would observe how does the child respond when the parent and the child are in the room then the parent leaves and they would observe how the child responds when the parent leaves and then the parent would return after a time and they would observe that and what they began to find is uh, what they would call attachment, different types of attachment to parents, which is uh, a secure attachment is, is a child who, you know, ha has a home base of parent. And when they have a sense that parent is there, they will uh, be able to go, uh, you know, away and explore. And then they come back and check back in with the parent. They experience some distress upon the leaving of the parent. They might find some ways to soothe themselves while they're gone. But when the parent returns, they reunite with the parent and are, are able to regulate again. Whereas other types of attachment styles, you know, the, you know, the child might be indifferent to the parent's presence and be just fine when they leave, or the child might be very anxious when they're there, very anxious when they're gone. There's different types of styles, and, and what it, I think what it, what it reflects, uh, as I think about it in terms of self-esteem, is that as humans, we have this deep need for a foundational sense of acceptance, and what we do as parents is we say we're going to provide that to you regardless of how you be of how you perform that would be the ideal with secure attachment right so because with a baby you're not like okay i will love you if you're not crying uh if we if we if we do that, then we generate some negative results, uh, some negative attachment styles that result in mental health problems, relational problems, things like that. The standard is I'm going to love you regardless of if you're crying and you're making me miserable or if you're happy and cooing. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a secure sense of value coming from me to you no matter what. And then it's from that position that then the child can explore the environment where that is definitely not true out in the environment is not true that you will get positive feedback regardless of how you behave right so <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true you don't <laughs> right and that's in part the parent's responsibility is to help train a child to be able to deal with that but i think when i think of self-esteem i think of attachment where i in in the best scenario i get my value from my parent and then from there, I can deal with life in a way where I get difficult types of feedback. But it, it's it's from a launching pad of secure connection to parent. What do you think? Well, I think that sounds good <laughs> in the ideal situation. But how many of us, you know, live in that ideal situation? So, and that and that's great conversation, right, for our listeners today, for our own lives, for me and you. You know, you're we're raised in an environment that begins to build a foundation of that value or that worth, and and it's not ideal. It's very no, actually, very rarely is it ideal, right? Because we have you know mm -hmm. parents who have their own stuff from their own formation of their Absolutely. value, and yep. so all of these things are and they're unique to each individual. But and that's probably the hardest part about this self esteem thing is I, I don't know. It's interesting too because. I think a lot of people, myself included, when I think about my own value, I don't automatically start by going back and saying, okay, what built my foundation of value? But the real work of connecting to uh, something that is firm 
and that isn't like a moving target, I think requires us to go back and say, okay, what, what was built into me that told me a truth? I, I read a book once that said, you know, if, if enough people come together and declare a lie to be truth, it becomes truth. Whether, mm-hmm. it's, whether it is or not, right? Mm-hmm. Enough people say a lie is true, it becomes true for them. And I think that happens to us in our own lives. You have enough people speaking enough false things into you, it becomes your truth. So then the question is, how do we, how do we set that record straight? Or is it mm. true? You know, are mm. you really this thing that you believe yourself to be? You know, we obviously, uh, I, my hope is we get to a place in this conversation where we talk about how do we set the record straight about yes. who we are. Um, mm-hmm. but, but how does but, a person yeah. navigate that to go well, back and unpack well, yeah, all that so, stuff? I mean, b- yeah, before we do that, I want to like, I agree with you, uh, that, um, it, well, it, it never is ideal. Um, and, uh, uh, Donald Winnicott, who I've referenced before has this concept of good enough parenting, which is really what the target is because perfect is not an option because we're humans, but we're, the target would be good enough. <clears throat> Excuse me. But then what what flows after that, I think we need to properly understand the problem, too, with self-esteem, is it's, it's, it is about the initial connections with your primary caregivers that begins to develop a sense of your okayness or your value that you launch from. But then it perpetuates because if if I have deficits, which we all do, and we experience these in life, when I have a deficit in my sense of capability or value, what I do then, or, or what the child does, is the child doesn't explore as much. So in the case of the anxiously attached child, they'll cling to the mother's leg, right, during the whole, the whole experiment or observational experiment. And what that child is not doing is engaging with the world around them and another element of self-esteem is uh, is based on the feedback i get from the world around me on how competent i am or if i'm successful right so if the child learns how to build a tower and it stands they're like they feel good about it and they're like oh i did that and they become competent and competence is also a basis for self-esteem as i find myself capably doing something I feel better about myself. This is one of the. Th- this is a fundamental element of improving emotion is building mastery. That's one of the skills in, in dialectical behavior therapy is building mastery. Um, it, it helps us feel better about ourselves when we accomplish something or we, we develop skill. And so you have this compounding problem where if, if you don't have a place of value that you're launching from, you're less likely to courageously engage with the world around you which then means you're less likely to develop competence or skill or ability that would then reaffirm your self-esteem. So when you talk about what do we do about repairing or, or addressing, I think we need to properly understand the problem is that we, we, uh, it's, it's twofold. It can be internal and external at the same time. Man, that's so much good stuff to kind of unpack, you know, this idea of how competence is connected to my view of myself and and how they're intertwined too uh, as we're raised for example you know i sit down with my i have three daughters and something about it's just interesting because they grew up i like to think they grew up in a home where they were valued and we talked about who they were and 
you know that wasn't about what they did but it was just in and they were inherently loved you know and they were in an environment where they they could extend and grow and be a part but there are times when i have conversations with them especially as they get older where i it's almost like out of nowhere it at least my perception as their dad out of nowhere is this feeling of just insecurity about the world around them you know or insecurity about that anybody you know, I was talking with one of them about you know heading into this new environment in school and obviously there's anxiety around meeting new people and new situations and college coming up and all the situations and it seems like as we get older too we put and maybe this is just an, another offshoot of this conversation but we put so much um weight into other people's perceptions of us as we get older so as you're heading out into this new circumstance you have all of these new relationships that that have the potential to speak into your life and tell you about who you are and then just this lack of confidence that comes from like assuming that the people you're going to meet are going to think ill of you in some way because that's just how it is i don't know there's not really a question in that it's more like a just an interaction with specifically my daughters too which seems to me almost like there it just resides in us as people regardless of sometimes what happens in life there's just an inherent insecurity or a feeling of um, low self-worth that just kind of yeah. lives in us regardless of how much positive influence has been in us I don't know. Yeah, and it has me wondering and wanting to ask you about what you make of that because definitely as I describe attachment and then uh, like environmental feedback, I, I think you're right. Like if, if you were to create the absolutely optimal environment for child development, I think, um, I think what you're saying is that there would still be an element of, of insecurity, uh, of, um, fear of not being able to measure up or be capable or something like that. And I, is there, I just wonder about the the spiritual or the theological foundations to that. Um, what what you think from our you know your your faith tradition that might give some sense to that. I was hoping you'd ask me that. You know because I think it to me I think it it speaks. Uh, I set you up, Robbie. Uh, I, to me, I think it speaks to this this truth that from the start of our lives, right? We 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 live life with people outside of us defining for us who we are, right? So my parents, eventually friends, family members, they're telling, they're defining for me who I am my whole life, right? Based on what I do and based on how I live and based on, you know, the things I accomplish as I grow in my life. And, and I'm always getting this feedback from the world around me about who I am. Or who you need to be. Or who I need because, to be. Right. Because of their wisdom about the world or because of their misperception about the world, whatever it might be. Right. And mm -hmm. their own brokenness is, is kind of a lens through which they, they push upon me who I need to be. But it's, a, it's kind of an ever-moving target of who I am, trying to discover who I am, you know. Um, and I think, so the, I think that lives in all of us. And, and the problem with that is that it's a moving target. And it's changing all the time, right? And, and who I think I am and who I have to be is changing all the time. If I live in the world where I let the world around me determine my value and my self-worth. But I think there's something that all of us have to 
um, a place we all have to come to where we, and I believe this happens in a relationship with God, where we in, we move from trying to determine what others say to us and we discover what actually just is. I think there is a truth about who we are as individuals that isn't defined by anything, but it just is. And, and let me explain that a little bit. I think if we go back to the beginning of all things, you know, based on a, a Christian understanding, and which is where I come from, right? So if I go back and specifically in the book of Genesis, and, you know, not talking about it being a history book or anything, but what I think was is important of the book of Genesis is it t- it's an origin story. It's a beginning, and it's it, it says something about what is true about creation, what is true about what God did in the beginning. And it talks about how God, you know, spoke light into being, and God created the earth and the heavens and the earth, and God created the animals, and then God created humanity. And after each action of creation, after each moment of creation, God uttered some beautiful words, and he said, it is good. And he even had a double positive when he created humanity. He didn't just say it's good. He said it is good, good. <laughs> it is very good. And our our origin story as humans is caught up in the origin story of the entire cosmos. And what it speaks to me and what I think it speaks to us as a people is that God blesses what he makes. God, what God makes is good. It just is. So it, we don't we don't live through life and determine for us, well, is creation good, you know? Or is human or are you Robbie, are you a good person? You know, are you worth anything? You live your life trying to allow other people to convince you of whether that's true or not. But with God, he speaks an inherent truth in us that just is. Does that make sense? So your value isn't yet to be determined your value your worth your esteem just is exactly what it was created to be if that makes any sense and that is so fundamentally important to being able to i think successfully interact with your world and become good as a person to like behave in a good way is uh, because as we were saying before if you have i'm going to think about this psychologically if you have if you come from a, a neglectful, abusive, torturous environment or, or any variation of that, um, what do you draw from then to then go out into the world and develop the skill necessary to survive and function in the world? Because the world is tough. I mean, I think uh, your, your daughter experiences some, uh, some reasonable anxiety of, uh, am I going to be able to navigate this new situation? Because I must. I must. If I don't, I'm not going to be okay. Um, and that's been true for all of human history. I mean, we've, we've managed to address some some problems like um, poverty and starvation, or not poverty, but starvation. But for all of human history, am I going to be okay has always been a concern, and that still is. It, but for the person that has, or, or for anyone, all of us, right, the, the deficits that we've had in getting what we need from other people the, the the vital importance of having something, which would be psychologically speaking, or in a faith language, someone to draw from as far as my value and my okayness, because I, I, I must have that in order to have the courage to then step out. 
because uh, like I said in those experiments, the, the, the children won't step out effectively if they don't have a secure base to launch from. And we, we continue that way as adult humans. We, we need a secure base to launch from to engage in the world and become more capable and competent and flourish and all of those things. And if, you know, what better place than a eternal foundational something or someone that I draw from that stands against uh, lies or misperceptions or whatever that might be and gives me the courage to keep going out. Like, I, I think... Uh, I think that's foundational. And no wonder we live in such anxiety. You know, if you're listening today you, and you're not alone, that we, we, we face the world around us, relationships and future and our past and who we've been and what we've done and what we will do. And if, if our self-value is dependent upon the outcome of what we've done and what we could do someday and the perceptions of people and what they think of us and what we might say, if, if our, if our, core belief about who we are is dependent upon that moving target that is always changing no wonder we live as people and gripped with anxiety and fear and no wonder many of us just decide to check out right and live in a hole where we don't have to face the reality of what we've done and it's it's almost like uh this it's a transactional world you know Mm -hmm. And I, I talk with people a lot about this in, in our faith journey and their relationship with God. Because in our world, you think about it, everything we do is transactional, right? So what I do, I get something from it. Or I get some sort of feedback, like you, you said. You know, if I do something positive, I get positive feedback. If I do something negative, bad things happen to me. And a lot of us transfer that understanding of how the world works with our relationship with God. Therefore, we can't get to the place to hear this core foundational truth that could change everything. Because in our minds, if, if we're living in a transactional world, then everything I do has the potential to change or alter my belief about what's true about me. But, but God doesn't deal in transaction. I don't believe he does. I, I believe he deals in a world of grace where he speaks something into us regardless of what we've done or what we will do or what we've said or who we think we are his his belief about us is just true you know and when when a person hears that from from god and i love those first moments you know when i get to talk to my congregation on sundays and i get to be able to speak into them and say you know god loves you that's it period you know or god chooses you or god bless you are blessed because god made you we talked last sunday we've been going through this series at living hope um about communion and how it this fourfold way forms us as people as god chooses the bread he blesses it he breaks it and he gives it it shows us what he thinks about us and what he's doing with our lives and we talked about blessing last week that god just blesses what he makes he doesn't bless because you're good or you know or he doesn't take blessing away because you've done bad things it just is god blesses what he makes you know and and then and then he he you know as i think of the stories of jesus he he does that and then he says now now get up and go go do this or get up and go do that right there there was a call after yeah but that that's the sequence i'm talking about here as far as the psychological improvement of self or self-esteem is that the sequence is vitally important it's uh I have a solid internal um, uh, unquestionable sense of value 
that then I launch from to go and do or be or be different or whatever it is. And and the, I think also from that is the outflow of that is then I become a person that's more likely and also more capable of being present for my neighbor, for my brother, for my sister, and and then uh, perpetuate the 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 how do I say it like that that is repair there's repair in that right like if i'm someone who can go out and be that type of person the person that feels like they have no value and is ultimately alone i might encounter them and i can share my presence with them and uh yeah somebody didn't turn off their phone that's all right we're still rolling um so uh uh so but i can share i'll restart that so when i when i work on launching out and being the person that can be present with others i can actually join them in their experience of not being valued and wondering if if they're completely alone and uncared for and as we do this launch from value into the world uh, we can actually provide for each other what we're what we're needing absolutely because we're not living in this constant transactional you know, engagement with people. So when I'm in relationship with the world and the people around me, I move from needing something from them to being able to offer something to them. It's a completely different um, engagement with the world around me, right? Because if if that truth is just determined for me, like you said, uh, the core place of value, I, n- I no longer live in anxiety about what how people might change that definition of myself right it's not a moving target anymore just is and like you said so all of a sudden now i'm free to live life and that word free really kind of resonates with my spirit as we talk about this it sets us free to be able to live life kind of unhindered by the anxiety of how what i do and what happens to me might change that inherent value and it if it's just true, then I, I can encounter the situations and circumstances of life without the fear that it, it's going to take from me something that is inherent about me as a person. And like you said, yeah, it sets me free to see relationship with others and to empathize with others that, man, there's people that, I mean, because I, when I'm free, you know, I like to share that freedom. <laughs> I want other people to, to experience the liberation that comes from God speaking into them that they are enough. That's right. That's you know? right. And that, that, tra- that, that transforms us from having a transactional interaction with other people that you were talking about before. In, in, instead of seeing us as being against each other and using our power against each other to get what we want and need, it transforms it into being a power for each other, where it's, it's a sharing, it's an abundance concept as opposed to a deficit model. Yeah, and you get to awaken other people, right, to mm. what is already true in them. And and I love that about this whole conversation, too, is that we start to see our part in people's lives. And not We don't get to define for them who they are. We get to open their eyes to who they already are. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Yeah, yes. like, and based yes. on, and whether you do good or bad things to me or we go through life struggles or you're successful or unsuccessful, whatever, I get to, to open your eyes to the truth that you you just are valued and you are worth my time and energy you know i mean not because of what you've done or what you've said but it's and that's a really cool thing to be a part of to to awaken others to that that awareness that wow 
You know, I love doing it with my girls. I like sitting down to, with them and sharing my, you know, because as a pastor, I deal with this all the time. Like the church world is built around this model where people come to my church if they like me, you know, or if they like my preaching, if they feel like I'm, I care for them well enough, if, if I connect with them enough and know them deeply enough. And if they don't feel like those things are true, they leave. They don't come to my church. So I'm in constant struggle with this, with this very thing. Like, do Am I enough, and am I resting in who God says I am, or am I going to let the voices of the world determine for me what I feel about myself, you know? And I like to talk to my girls about that all the time. Like, And life constantly puts in front of us these situations where it challenges that core truth. You know, I get it in my heart, and then the world comes around and tries to speak other The voices are loud, man, trying to convince me who I am and change my path and 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 there's a pernicious downside to this which is if if i'm if i'm so vulnerable to being valued by other people what happens is is i cannot differentiate feedback and what i mean by that is if if i'm constantly looking into the environment around me to say whether i'm okay or whether i'm valued as a person what i then have to do is discard all negative feedback or avoid it or push it away and that's disastrous because that second part that I was talking about where we build our sense of value by being competent you were just talking about a way to build your own value which is to be of use to other people right that makes you feel valued right if I operate this way I then ignore what the world tells me as far as when I'm not doing my best work um, when like when what I'm doing is not cutting it and I need to be able to incorporate that. I have to be able to hear that so I can get better. And I can't get better if I can't hear it because I'm so vulnerable because I don't have this solid core of I'm okay, I'm loved, I can launch from that. I, I think the final part of this conversation, though, Rob, is for, for those of you out there who are, again, not alone uh, you know, and facing this this journey of self-esteem and self-worth is such a gigantic conversation, but maybe just a little practical help is what are some ways that someone could, you know, position themselves to begin this journey, you know, and uh, you're really struggling. You're, you're feeling the anxiety of what the world thinks about you. You've, you've had your whole life kind of um, where people have determined who you are and your value and self-worth based on your failures or successes. How does a person, kind of end that rhythm or end that cycle and really come face to face with a, a deeper truth that could change the trajectory of their life. How, maybe some starting points as a psychologist, you know, you're meeting with me and you say, here, here are two or three things that you could do to kind of begin that journey. Um, and, well, I think we should both speak into that. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but you don't want to be thrown under the bus only, Doctor Rob. No, no, I just today. No, it wasn't thrown under the bus. It was valuing. Oh, I it was so valuing. Um, Thank you. You care this what is I have what to we're, say. Yeah. This is what we're all about. Which is that um, you know, head and heart. You know, our different yeah. perspectives have something to speak into it. So, the first place I'll start with is. Dun, 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 social media ah um the so uh, social media the process of uh sharing aspects of yourself uh likes dislike or hearts comments all these things okay the, the our our brains 
are hardwired to incorporate feedback quickly from other people. And think about this. For for most of human history, um, and you know, we, we don't have to have a conversation about how long we think that was, if it was six million years or if it was not. <laughs> we can get into that some other time. But But on a psychological and biological level, for most of human history, it was absolutely vital that we were able to perceive very quickly whether someone was a threat to us or whether they liked us. And we had to be able to do that effectively uh, because if we didn't, we were in trouble, right? Like in, in danger of dying, of starving, whatever it might be. Um, so that's how our brains work. And social media, the like process, the comment process, all of that taps into that same system in our brains and our bodies and gives us the same type of feedback but it it gives us so much of it um, that we uh, one of the things that I would recommend is taking a very careful look and evaluation at um, to what extent you incorporate information from social media especially feedback information um, because is very is very difficult information because your your body is going to respond to it like that person is close to you right because historically when you got feedback it was in person and that person would have been able to do something like hug you or hit you right whereas now the feedback you get online or social media is not in person it's somebody you don't even know you might not even they might not even be a real person they might be a bot or 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 like who knows right but your body is going to treat it like they're right next to you and it's going to generate emotional material and it's going to impact how you think and feel so one of the places i would recommend starting at least on the top level is deciding what type of disciplines you want to have and make those disciplines in light of understanding how your body works and that your body is going to treat it this way and you need to be wise about how you do that yes that's good yeah Yes. So that, that would be one place to start. That, that would be a top-level place to start. Um, the, the, other, the other things that I think resonate from the conversation are uh, the, the, the foundational place to start, I think, is number one is taking a hard look at it. Like uh, Jung encouraged uh, his patient um, is to, to take some time, and it's hard and it's painful, so you probably need other people with you or someone with you as you do it. But take a hard look at you and how you feel about yourself and be honest about that and also identify where are you drawing your sense of value from and if your pattern is primarily to draw it from external feedback you won't be able to stop doing that but if that's the primary place you get it from that's going to be problematic Um, uh, an ideal way to pursue is having a foundational source that is solid and unflinching and unmoving and then reaching out into the world and getting feedback on your level of competence, your level of skill, and incorporating that and getting more capable. Um, I think those those are the two uh, primary ways, uh, I would say, to begin to journey towards this um, if I were working with uh, you as a patient. How about how about if, you yeah. know, your, your uh, church member comes in and is struggling with this? What, you know, spiritual practices, disciplines, approaches, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, the first challenge of this journey with people of faith is there's so much um, negative uh, connection to um, 
I don't know how you say it, but just broken experiences with faith. You know, we, we have people who have defined for us what our relationship with God should look like. And for a lot of people, that's um, still a transactional world, right? So it's, it's just been used as ammunition to prove what people have said is true about your life, that God also thinks that thing about you. So the, the real challenge with entering into faith is that um, it, it is simultaneously the answer, but also the most challenging um, thing to begin right because you have to you have to wade through all of the falsehood and all of the the poor experiences and i'm sure if you're yep. like most people that i encounter who have had any sort of interaction with a faith journey uh the vast majority of people it's just you know added fuel to the fire of what they the lies that they believe so i think the first thing i'd encourage people and i don't know how to define this for them but is to find a healthy encounter with um, faith with God, uh, find a healthy community, a healthy place. Um, and how do you define health? I, I think it's um, it's one of those things that you can discern uh, and know and feel. Like when I walk into a place, I can tell if there's if it's a healthy place or not, or if there's people who are pursuing healthy relationship, thriving, uh, fulfilling um, relationship. And f- so find a place to plug in that that. I think would perpetuate that hell for you. I know that's not like super specific um, in terms well, I of could, the beginning of yeah, the journey, but yeah, you know. let me jump in there a little bit because I think that would that general sense would mean somebody's encountered it before and they have a recognition yeah. of what it is. And there's certainly people who haven't. And I would say you're, you're pointing out something uh, that I think really adds uh, context to what I was saying before, which is creating this foundation means going through and wrestling with the mess and the the pain that uh, created lies or uh, or uh, toxicity in, inside of me um, before I can solidify that. So I think you're absolutely right. And I think health, uh, health would be a, a place, uh, that at least when I think about healthy therapy, is a, um, someone that's willing to tell you the truth um, with kindness and compassion and help you explore what truth is and go on a journey with you instead of just say, oh, here's why I think the solution to your problem is do that, see you later. Um, I think somebody who's willing to join with you, walk with you, be kind and compassionate and also willing to tell you the truth. Yeah, and that was kind of my second point is when you find that place, there's also this, uh, for me, it manifested in a personal encounter with uh, God, you know, through Christ. That I had uh, something that's sometimes hard to kind of tangibly explain. Uh, a book that, and maybe this will help just in a practical way, but because books are ways that I've really connected with deeper truth, you know, the Bible, but also other books that people have written about the Bible. And one that has helped me deeply, and I, I have had an experience with others being helped by it, is uh, from a, a man named Henry Nowen called Life of the Beloved. And I just recommend that. We can leave it in the show notes today. Um, but it, it's a book that just speaks to this whole topic we've kind of talked about today about how do we connect with this this core thing that just is about you right your value and your worth are not things up for grabs or yet to be determined they your value and worth just is that you are beloved and when you and only you can find your way to this uh, as an individual but when you come into contact with God, Yahweh, the creator of all things, I believe we have a transformational encounter where that truth is set to reside in our hearts and in our spirits. 
that you can't get by just thinking hard enough about this or having enough conversation about it. I, I truly believe that it's a, it's like a supernatural experience that we have, and it's mystery, and that's what faith is. And that's what my part of this conversation really is, I think, is to invite people uh, to have that encounter with heart. You know, And we get the things of our head that lead us down to this place of mystery that is our hearts that I think sets this truth that you are beloved, you are created, blessed by God that has the ability to really change the way we interact with the world around us. Ab- absolutely. And I think for, for someone who's, who's not, a, not a person of faith, um, I think even if you're not, the, this is psychologically true, which is I think if you, take, if you take the concept of a good enough parent and you, you say, well, well what, is the, what is the maximal, optimal what is the telos of a good enough parent? Um, and I think that would be something like God, right? And, and how, how incredibly psychologically useful would it be to have a conception of, of someone or something that values you inherently and then has the kindness and the truth-telling to push you back out into life to learn and to grow, um, so I, I think for the person who, who, who isn't a person of faith, uh, th- this is still incredibly meaningful and valuable to explore and pursue, even if you don't personify it, it as God. Um, I think th- this is so vital um, to be able to do exactly uh, what you're talking about. Man, it's been such a great conversation, Rob. Thank you so much for your insight today. And uh, for those that are listening, we we hope that it has uh, encouraged you and led you maybe to a place where you could hear some truth that might change the trajectory of your life at this beautiful collision of head and heart today. Absolutely. And uh, as as you continue to join us, we hope that you would uh, click subscribe, that you would follow us on socials. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we're definitely interested in hearing from you as far as content to incorporate into future conversations. We're looking at finding uh, new ways to, to do that. So hope you stay tuned, subscribed, engage with that as we continue. Two brothers looking at the matters of head and heart, staring into the sun together. Grace and peace. The way we find ourselves is by staring into the sun.